0: I want to thank uh, Doris Young for being here today. Thank you very much, Doris. Thank you for your life. You're an example for us. And you know what? It dawned on me, you may be among the three oldest in the congregation, but you'll always be young. <laughs> Wish I could say the same about me. I want to turn your attention, if I may, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 19 through 34. This is the text we'll be looking at today, so let's read through it together. John chapter 1, verse 19 through 34. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, "I am not the Christ." They asked him, "Then who are you? Are you Elijah?" He said, "I'm not. Are you the prophet?" he said no finally they said who are you give us an answer to take back to those who sent us what do you say about yourself john replied in the words of isaiah the prophet i am the voice of one calling in the desert make straight the way of the lord now some pharisees had been sent who had been sent questioned him Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened in Bethany on the other side of Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. May God add his blessing to his word. May he enrich our lives, give us counsel as well as direction through sharing his word today and dwelling on his word. I want to start with a story today about a girl named Marge. She was in one of my churches, and I want to give it to you in her words, first person. I was from a family of seven, Marge tells us. Learned the doctrines, went to church on Sundays, but it was sterile and dull to me. It was ritualistic and meant nothing. There was no personal relationship with Christ. I got on a fast track. I didn't finish college. I married too young. I had a baby. I got a divorce. Maybe a career is what I need, so I thought. There was just a void. I spoke to my younger sister who had just become a Christian about my concerns. She and my other Christian sister seemed so strange to me, always so peaceful and content and speaking of the love of Jesus. Whatever. I married again, but still that void. I had another baby. My dear sisters were praying. I became overwhelmed. But Jesus loved me, my Christian witnesses said. I finally agreed to go to to a Bible study. Something happened to me that day that transformed my life. I had never in my life seen anything like it. I heard Jesus knocking on my spiritual door. The sound was deafening. And I opened that door and received my Lord Jesus with open arms. As I drove home that morning... I repented and prayed and listened to him. For the first time, I received an assurance that Jesus truly loved me and died for my sins too. Well, my search for the meaning of life is over. I'm not naive enough, however, to think that all my problems are soon going to be solved. But being a Christian puts everything, everything in proper perspective. I want to focus today on something that's vital in this story. The people in Marge's life pointing her to Christ. There are two things true about these people. They were followers of Christ and they were witnesses. The two go hand in hand. It's difficult, if not impossible, to be one without the other. And let me tell you something else true of those who follow Christ, at least true of mature believers. In fact, let me tell you two things about them. It's important for us to know these things. One reason. To see whether or not we're following Christ ourselves. And secondly, to see something of what is involved in giving witness to Christ. So what are the two things? The two things are these. Christians, witnesses, know who they are and who they're not. There's some very wise biblical counsel given to all who roam this earth inhabiting human bodies... As to what our attitude ought to be toward ourselves, and it's given in two ways. It's given by way of precept and by way of example. First, the precept. If you look at Paul's letter to the church at Rome, uh, the, 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 the Romans, you read these words, Romans 12:3. Do not think more of your more highly of yourselves than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. Notice, this is not a call to self-minimization. What it is, is a call to realistic assessment about who we are. We've all met people who think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, right? Have you ever met anybody like that? They're sort of pompous, they give you the impression that they've got it all together, um, They can be arrogant, they can be inconsiderate, they can be insensitive. They can be any or all of the above. They have a misplaced notion about themselves. They have no rule of conduct. The follower of Christ is given a must standard not to behave like that. We shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, says the Apostle Paul. You see, the believer's standard is neither overvalue nor undervalue yourself, but think soundly about yourself. We need to see ourselves from God's perspective. And when we do, we see ourselves as people of great worth, but still human. We know that we, um, when we face ourselves, we're not looking at junk, because God doesn't make junk. But we are deeply flawed, and we are very fragile. And this affects how we live our lives. So that's the precept. For those of us who call ourselves witnesses, for those of us who follow Christ, we should not think more of ourselves than we ought. But should we, we should think about ourselves with sober judgment. But I said there was not only a precept, a rule of conduct, there's also an example of what our attitude ought to be toward ourselves and it's lived out countless times in countless lives throughout the entire bible and probably no better illustrated anywhere than from the life of John the Baptist himself i've been pouring over these passages of scripture and John the Baptist was the real deal he knew who he was and who he was not In a very understated yet unequivocal manner, John illustrates the wisdom that sooner or later comes to characterize every conscientious believer in the way they live their lives, the mindset they carry into life. So what is it that John the Baptist tells us about wise living, realistic living? He tells us it is a wise person who can correctly answer the question, who are you? And believe me, there are a lot of people who don't know. There are a lot of people roaming this earth today, maybe even some here this morning, who want to be something other than what they are. They've never arrived at any sense of self-satisfaction with who they are. So this wisdom that John shares is especially seen when the opportunity has presented itself to really be somebody. To really uh, play play to the stands, to have our ego stroked. Look at the opportunity John faced. Look at verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They stood straight on with John and they said, Who are you? Given the ego needs of a lot of us sense, coming from the sort of fractured, pers- uh, dysfunctional families some of us come from, dealing with fractured personalities that some of us have had to deal with, Doesn't this just represent a phenomenal temptation? Here's John's opportunity to be a big guy. Who are you? He could have said anything, but he chose to be very careful and measured in his words. He chose not to play up to himself. He chose humility. What is humility? Well, we've heard a lot of jokes about humility. The guy who said, I wrote a book on humility, how to attain it, And I'm so proud of myself. I think if you want to know what humility is, take a look at somebody like C.S. Lewis. I think C.S. Lewis really nailed it with his crisp definition of what humility is all about. Here's what he says. Humility isn't a low opinion of yourself. Humility is self-forgetfulness. That's really rich. Humility is self-forgetfulness. And this is precisely where John was. He was in a place where he could meet his own ego needs or he could forget himself. And he chose to forget himself. To answer the question honestly, who are you, means to recognize the difference between ourselves and Christ and to acknowledge it. Now I have no problem in my life doing that verbally. But I have a big problem sometimes in my life acknowledging it through self-denial. It's hard to forget ourselves when it comes to denying ourselves, isn't it? Don't we all live there? Certainly, we do. It's an unfair assessment. Look at all the people who believe, or uh, even look at all the people who are even believers, even ourselves, who sometimes deny our humanity by wanting to play the wrong role—God's role. Have you ever had anybody say to you, "When did God resign and give you His job?" Isn't that where we live sometimes? We don't live lives of self-denial. We live lives of self-aggrandizement. What does it mean to play God's role? Catch this definition. It means to live and act as though there were no authority higher than ourselves when it comes to making decisions about issues in life. That's what it means to play God's role. To act as though we're the final word and God isn't. That's a dangerous place to be. It's one of man's most subtle problems. But notice John the Baptist's response to the issue. It's so classic and such a good example. Verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you? They wanted to know who he was. And John is emphatic about letting them know, letting them know that he's not the Christ. We need to know that it's okay to be human. In fact, it's quite appropriate. Insight into who we are protects us from trying to be someone or something we're not. It also frees us up to be what God would have us be and what John the Baptist embodies for us, and that is a witness to his divinity. John came as a witness. It's a marvelous role. And this is God's choice for us. And God's choice for us, listen to this friend, God's choice for us is always our privilege. See, We get the idea sometimes we're in charge and God's got to follow along and make things happen for us. It's not the way it is. God's choice for us is what's important and God's choice for us is always our privilege. Even if it's the choice of martyrdom it's our privilege. Even if it's the choice of serving unrewarded, it's our privilege. That leads us to the second point we need to make under this idea of knowing who we are. It is a wise person who intends to be only what he's meant to be. It is a wise person who intends to be only what he is meant to be. We will have plenty of temptations in our lives to be someone we're not. Even on the human side of divinity. John the Baptist certainly did. Look at verse 21. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not, he said. Are you the prophet? He answered no. Finally, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? It's interesting. John says in response to the question, Are you Elijah? I am not. This raises a very interesting question because if you look at Matthew chapter 11 verse 14 you can see these words Jesus says, and if you are willing to accept that he, John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come. So Jesus says he was, John says he wasn't. What's going on? Was he or wasn't he? Well he was and he wasn't. Profound, right? He was in the sense that he was he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Quoting uh, Luke 1.17, John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So he was in that sense, but he wasn't in the sense that he came as a resurrected Elijah. Elijah erected, resurrected from the dead. Are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? The Jews expected many prophets before Christ's coming, including Messiah. And John just unequivocally, rather than playing up to himself, rather than taking an ego trip, try, rather than taking God's position, he simply says, no, I'm not the prophet. He was a witness. And that was quite enough. It's quite enough to be a voice. That's John's designation of himself. Do you see verse 23? John replied to the words of, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of... Of one calling in the in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, if a voice can point, here is a voice pointing to Jesus. But words aren't all that witnesses use. It's also quite enough merely to let our actions draw attention to Jesus. And what were John the Baptist's primary actions? See if you can pick it up, verse 25 and verse 26, and then look at verse 31. Some of the Pharisees who, had sent, who were sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Look at verse 31. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John's action primarily was baptizing. He came to baptize, looking forward to the birth, to the uh, to the reign of Christ, and to the ministry of Christ. Baptism, even today, is an action which draws attention to Jesus. It's one of the many things that uh, which does, including living our lives in such a way that we reflect the love and the light and the life of Jesus, living as witnesses. You've heard the saying, the only Bible an unbeliever reads is that of a Christian's life. They learn about God from discerning Him in our lives. So, good question to ask right here. Can you think of a better way to live your life? With an accurate understanding of who you are and who you aren't, and a focus on what you were meant to be, to the point that others see Christ in you? Can you think of a better way? to live your life. When a follower of Christ is on target, that is precisely where he is. He's reflecting the life and the love of Jesus Christ. He is a witness. What a relaxing and rewarding way to live. We don't have to be what we're not, God. We're free to become what God would have us be, witnesses, in our own humanity to His glory. Followers know who they are, and they know who they're not. Not only that, but followers also know who Jesus is and who He is not. In fact, this is what motivates them to bear witness of Him to, to begin with. And who is He? Well, there's no better way to review who He is than to look at what the witness says about Him. what does What does the witness say about Him? Look at verse 29. The next day... John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Four things John the Baptist tells us which are true about Jesus. One of the things true about Jesus is the fact that he is the sin-bearing Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this term, Lamb would conjure up all sorts of images to a jewish mind so many so that they we can't even be sure whether john the baptist had one or several images in his own mind as he spoke those words there are at least nine suggestions as that have been made in terms of what specifically this lamb the business was all about was he the passover lamb was he the lamb of daily sacrifice offered morning and evening Was he the God-provided lamb you read about in Genesis chapter 2 where Abraham was ready to sacrifice his own son, but God provided a lamb in the place of that son? Was he that lamb? For our purposes, it's enough just to know whatever image John the Baptist had in mind, he was thinking sacrifice. Jesus gave himself. Now we hear this so often, those of us who are in the church regularly. We hear this so often we can begin to take it for granted, but this is huge. Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. A lamb for the slaughter. He paid the price for us. He takes away sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this does not mean much in a society which minimizes sin, but that doesn't change the significance of it at all. This is still extremely valuable stuff. By taking our sin upon himself, Jesus takes it out of the way. He removes it from us. That's the point. He provides an opportunity for us to be atoned, to be at one with God. He provides an opportunity for us to be reconciled. To make, he makes us to feel at home with God the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And you notice, he takes that sin away worldwide. He takes away the sin of the world. He's not a regional God. He doesn't just take the sin away of those of us who live in the Western Hemisphere. He doesn't just take the sin away of those who live in Africa, or Asia, or Asia Minor, or the Far East, or the islands of the sea. He takes it all away. He takes away the sin of the world. He handles our sins as well, our individual sins, but He takes away the sin of the entire world. This is who He, who he is. This is. This is John's witness. Think for a moment what it means to be mere human. His sacrifice is enough for our sin. We did not have the power to do anything about our sin. But Jesus removed it. And I think this means more to people who understand the depth of their sinfulness than it does who, for those who don't think they've sinned very much. But this is big time stuff. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has removed from us our sin. His sacrifice is enough. And as mere humans who know who we are and who he he is, we can bear witness of this tremendous news. What a motivation for giving witness to him. It certainly was one of John the Baptist. But John's not finished. Not, Not only does he say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he also points to his eternality. Look at verse 30. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. This is a reference to the eternality of Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced we're never going to get an idea of the full significance of this, this side of glory, but suffice it to say, Jesus is regarded as a man. You notice what he says here in verse 30, a man who comes after me. Jesus is regarded as a man. But he, and he was fully man. But at the same time, he's eternal, which means he's divine. Janet Moberg gave me a good quote this week. I thought it was a great one. I'm going to share it with you. Jesus was as much divine as if not man at all. And at the same time, Jesus was as, is as much human as if not divine at all. He's totally, fully divine and totally, fully human all the time. He represents us before God. He represents God before us. It's incredible, really. And it's not the first time it's been alluded to in this passage. Go back to verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now think of this in terms of a follower's role as a witness. We're very limited people. What's the longest any of us are going to live? We have some seniors with us today. They haven't reached 100 yet. Most of us think when you reach 100, you lived a long life. During that life, left to ourselves, what will be the extent of our influence? Well, relatively speaking, we have people of influence here but all of us are just not even blips on the radar screen in terms of eternity. A hundred years, what's a what's hundred years in terms of eternity? It's not even a hiccup. Um, most of what we do will be forgotten. None of us are going to take anything with us. My father-in-law used to say he'd never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it yet. We're going to leave our houses... We're going to leave our fortunes. Our obituary, for the most influential among us, our obituary might be three or four inches long. Discouraging, isn't it? But wait a minute. That isn't true. Listen to me. That is not true when we focus on being used as a witness. Because witnesses to Jesus Christ have eternal influence. Because they relate to people... They relate relate people to an eternal God who willingly provides all who will eternal life. And remember, as we pointed out before, on many occasions when John talks about eternal life, he's often using two ideas. He's got two ideas in mind. A life that never ends. That's what we normally think of when we think of eternal life. Also, a life that is enriched from the time we place our faith in Jesus Christ. That's also eternal life. So we have an eternal influence on people who are just mortal like us. That's the privilege of being a witness. This eternal life. People who know who Jesus is, even though who, merely human, can wield incredible influence. They have the ability to lead people to a place where they have life eternally. They can let others know in on who He is by what they say and how they live. Knowing who Christ is motivates us to give witness to Him. So, who is Jesus? He's the sin bearing Lamb of God, He's eternal. Witnesses are playing around with, I don't mean playing around like trivializing it, but witnesses are, have the opportunity to introduce people to eternal life. Incredible. Thirdly, he's the one who brings the Holy Spirit into people's lives. This Lamb of God. Look at verse 32 and 33. John gave this testimony I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is really interesting. If you look at verse 33 you see a contrast between John's baptism, John the Baptist's baptism, and the one Jesus would inaugurate. And there's a big difference between the two. John's baptism was primarily negative. It was a cleansing from. It, rep- it illustrated repentance. It was in preparation of the coming of Christ. The baptism Jesus provides is positive. It's the bestowal of new life. Not baptism, but baptism signifies the bestowal of new life in God. It, too, illustrates repentance, but it provides much more than a statement about a hard attitude of the baptized. It provides the bestowal of new life in Christ. It represents new life in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who causes us to be born again to new life in Christ. John's baptism, as is baptism today, was a statement made, to be sure, an outward sign of an inward work of God's grace, a statement of identification with God's Messiah. The baptism of Jesus is resources supplied. It consists of spiritual resources for spiritual living. It is the Holy Spirit within. John's baptism had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit within. Jesus' baptism has everything to do with the Holy Spirit within. Or what, um, When we're baptized, it signifies that something has taken place in our life and the Holy Spirit now is within So think again of your life as a mere human being, but as a witness. The Holy Spirit within the believer wields incalculable influence. Let me share one illustration that hopefully will make this more vivid. Bruce was a guy that came to our church in one of my former pastorates. He was an industrious guy and his life was showing it. He accumulated a lot of things. He worked long hours. He neglected his family. And something at some point in time in Bruce's life snapped. And he was in deep trouble. For over a year, he was in deep depression. He suffered weight loss. He couldn't cope. He couldn't function. He was in and out of the hospital. There was great stress on his family. There was phenomenal tension in his life. Someone told him to try church, and he just happened to try ours in God's providence. And when he came, he and his wife, they met a young couple, John and Karen. And John and Karen began to feed into their lives, began to work with them. They prayed together. They shared their lives with them. They, they read Scripture with them. They, they encouraged them. They, they helped them come to find Christ that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work giving witness to Jesus Christ. That's a life-changing experience. And it all came through Christ, who has worked by His Spirit through the lives of other people who were giving witness. John the Baptist was a witness. We are witnesses. We have the opportunity of dealing with eternal issues. And the Holy Spirit is actively involved in our life as He was Through Jesus' life, who came and gave the Holy Spirit so we could have new life. God may be using you, and you may not even know it right now. God may be using you to have an eternal influence in the life of somebody else. What a motivation it is to know that Christ lets the Holy Spirit work through our lives, and He brings the Holy Spirit into our lives and into the lives of others through us. What a wonder, what a delight. That's who Jesus is. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And witnesses know that. They know that. So Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is eternal. He's the one who brings the Holy Spirit. And he is the Son of God. Notice what John says, verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. He has the closest of all personal relationships with the Father. To the human family, the word son suggests someone who's come into the home and now you have to raise him. There's an inferiority about him in terms of his intellectual capacity, etc., etc. And he's not mature. He's got to go through life experience to get mature. As a designation of the relationship between Jesus and God the Father, however, it's an entirely different picture. When, they, when, when, when the term son is used of Jesus in the New Testament, he himself is deity sharing in all the rights and privileges of the God, God the Father. He is uniquely the Son of God. And we as John the Baptist get to witness this. We get to herald the news. We get to share it with other people. We, need to, we get to let them know who Jesus is. And we get to lead them into eternal life. A life where they too will experience the Holy Spirit. And they too will be buoyed up and guided and directed through life through the Holy Spirit. That's what he calls us to. So I would call all of us today, self-included, to be a witness of who he is in our lives. If you're already following, here's a few things you can make sure you do. Practical things. You can make sure you do to strengthen your witness. Decide to live the Christian life as honestly and openly as possible. Decide to live the Christian life as honestly and openly as possible. There seems to be a trick of Satan going on in our culture today. We can talk about everything, but we've got to shut up when it comes to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we should be offensive, I'm not saying we should break rules and all that stuff, that separation of church and state business, but I'm saying when we have an opportunity, let's speak up for Jesus. Let's be open as often as possible. Secondly, let's decide to talk as casually and naturally about Christ as we do about cars, sports, and kids. Why not? If he's everything to us, then we ought to be able to talk about it. And thirdly, let's decide to learn how to actually introduce someone to Christ. Because you know if you're doing the first two, the third is going to be inevitable. You're going to need to know how to make that introduction at some point in time. And from time to time here we've offered classes on how to introduce somebody to Christ, and we will again. But make certain you learn how to actually introduce someone to Christ. The mission statement of this church is that we want to help people come to know Christ, grow in faith, and become engaged in ministry. And the first ministry all of us should become engaged in, as was set forth in an exemplary fashion by John the Baptist, is that of a witness. Do we know who he is? Do we know who we are? That he's our Lord and we're his witnesses. That's the lesson John gives us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today peering back through the corridors of history, catching just a glimpse of a man who came before Jesus to bear witness, and he's an example to us as to how we should live our lives. came to tell us about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to tell us about eternal life through Jesus and that Jesus would be the one who would baptize us in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that and we're we're mindful that it's, it's not just good enough for us to know this, we've got to act on what we learn. And so we pray that you'd make us witnesses as well. In Jesus' name.